Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall. Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the break. Alley hooped to Giannis for an iconic slam. Seals game five and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Poznanski, and uh, with me today, could not uh, be happier, uh, my friend, uh, one of the fine journalists in America, Kansas City Star Zone, Sam Mellinger. Sam, welcome. Thanks for having me, Joe. How are you doing? I am doing... I always feel weird calling you Sam Mellinger because i that's the Texas quarterback guy. And, and every time I yeah. hear him called Sam Ellinger, I feel very weird. It's just like, how, how much has this shifted your life having that guy come around? So I had never heard of him until I was at <laughs> Big 12 Media Days. Right. And, and it must have been before his first year starting as the quarterback. And you know, you know how these things are. There's like a big, it was in a practice field. It was like the Cowboys practice, uh, practice stadium. And right. Uh, you know, you grab the microphone, you're supposed to introduce yourself. And and I think it was a question, too, at the time, maybe Tom Herman or whoever the coach was. And, you know, just Sam Mellinger, Kansas City Star. And, and just the whole room turned around and, like, <laughs> stared at me. And it was like, what? And I was like, yeah, guys, hi. Uh, and I still didn't know until <laughs> until somebody later, like, asked a question about, um, you know, Sam Ellinger. And right. then I went like, what? Who's that? <laughs> um, but I, I don't know, Joe, like, I either want him – to be the best football player in the history of the world, or I want him to quit the sport and like yeah. manage a hardware store or something. It's, I can't it's, decide which. It's really weird because, of course, you are Sam Mellinger with an M. He is mm-hmm. Sam Ellinger with an E. It doesn't matter. It's like if you say the name, it's going to be exactly the same. Nobody pauses and says Sam <laughs> Ellinger. Nobody ever does it that way. It's Sam Mellinger. Both of you guys yeah. are exactly the same guy. Uh, I, I was here first, though. And I don't think he's going to be the greatest quarterback in the history of the world. I, I mean, no, no <laughs> and I mean, no offense. He's a fine player. He's a fine, yeah. he's a fine college player. But I, I don't feel like, I don't feel like you will be wiped from the face of the earth because okay. of the. Of, that's at least, at least that's the way it looks so far. Who knows? I Who knows? It. Sam, how long have you been at the Kansas City Star now? Well, no, no. <laughs> let me let me rephrase that because of course we go all the way back together at the Kansas City Star. I don't care right. how long you've been at the Star. How long have you been a columnist at the Kansas City Star? Uh, ten years, March two thousand ten. Ten years. Okay, so uh, for those of you, well, no, none of you would know this. I invited Sam on here because, of course, he is truly one of the one of the finest journalists in the country and a, and a, a fantastic sports writer and a great guy. But I mostly brought him on here uh, because Sam. I guess sort of, 
I don't know if it's a direct replacement of me as as the columnist at the Star, but but uh, sort of a direct replacement of me. I don't know if there was anybody. I don't know. I don't remember exactly how it worked, but essentially he replaced me as columnist of the Kansas City Star, which is great. That the Star that was a big upgrade for the Star in my view. But yeah, right. uh, no, I no, I feel that way. Uh, however, much more to the point, uh, since Sam came to the Kansas City Star, so I was there for fifteen years, fourteen years, uh, and then a little extra time at the end. Uh, the not a single team in Kansas City won anything, came close to winning anything. Uh, they were all basically every year was a, a living embarrassment, um, both in football and baseball. And and then generally speaking, heartbreaks for, for the college teams as well. Nothing good happened, essentially, in the entire time that I was there at the Kansas City Star. And then Sam came to the Kansas City Star and within a very short period of time, the Royals won. Well, they first won a pennant, then they won the World Series, then the Chiefs won the Super Bowl with like the most exciting player in the history of the game. And I just want to know how you live with yourself. I mean, essentially, that's basically the the main question of this podcast is how how do you sleep at night knowing that? Oh, um, I don't know if this is like inside baseball or whatever, but oh, it's inside um, baseball, but we don't care because yeah. as I've told you before, this is not a real show. We just we just talk about whatever right. we talk about. But can, can I tell can I tell the story of, of how I was invited on this show on yes, this non show? Yes, please do. Um, I, I forgot. Like we we had a Twitter exchange or something, right? Yes. And, um, and I was literally walking back uh, from you know dropping my kid off at school, walking home. And, oh, I'll just check my phone. And there's this text message that says, you have to come on my show so I can yell at you for having covered Patrick Mahomes, is basically what, <laughs> what you said. That's right. So, That's right. So, and I said, yes, of course. Anytime. <laughs> um, look, man, um, I didn't see you during the 2012 Chiefs season. No, no. You know you're not getting away with that. Where, I've got Where 10, were you? I've got 10 seasons that top that where 2012 Chiefs season. I look, don't know. Oh come on! Look, I have chief seasons that 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 are at least as bad or worse, and then I've got royal seasons that make that season look like you know like the greatest thing that's ever happened to any team ever. I mean, you know, look, they were look the royals will give you. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, you're granting me that. You're granting yeah. me that. I'll, I'll stand down on the royals. Um, no, although, I, although I, I was I was there, um, you know. Just doing my little features and stuff. From, you were there. You, know. you were there. You were there. I wouldn't even say in the background. You were there. Uh, but but uh, no, you it, it doesn't count. I look. Here's here's the thing, and and I do mean this in all sincerity. Uh, it's great. It's great. It's great for Kansas City. It's great for you. It's great for your your compatriot Vahe Gregorian, another dear friend who who's gotten to do all of this. Um, and and yes, I'm I'm jealous. I that I don't I don't deny that I'm I'm jealous. But I'm mostly jealous now of what it's like on a day to day basis to write about Patrick Mahomes. Because in addition to him being, you know, look, I, I don't know where this ends with Patrick Mahomes. He's still it's only his third year in the league, and 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 you just have no idea where it's going to go. I, I've said this, and I I believe you've said similar things. Nobody's ever played football like this, the way Patrick no. Mahomes is playing. And and not only is he just this wonderful sensation, he comes across as the single greatest person. Like, he's just <laughs> so joyous to be 
around every time you hear him every time you 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 know sort of get a sense of what his uh you know where he is mentally i mean you know look the commercials are not the best i'm not gonna lie like the patrick price (laughs) thing that he does that doesn't work but that's not his fault he didn't write that um but honestly, what is it like, I mean, covering uh, a guy? I mean, it, it is, you know, look, we as journalists, obviously, you know, our 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 goal and our plan is always to, you know, we we're writing about the story. We are not, you know, we stay, you know, out of the, out of, we're not fans writing about these things. Uh, we, we stay out of that, out of that realm. We write about these, you know, these, these people. Um, but I mean, this is like a dream thing to get to write about Patrick Mahomes all the time. Isn't it? It's, it's unbelievable. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's, uh, he's, he's a unicorn, um, <laughs> and unicorn. In, in so many different ways and, and not just like, look, like he'd be a superstar and, you know, the king of the town, no matter where he played. Right. But, um, as you might know, Joe, um, Kansas City has a, a twisted history with with quarterbacks. No, I, I, and, I'm unaware uh, of this. F- please, fill yeah. Me in. <laughs> and uh, they they win a few years without drafting a quarterback in the first yeah. round. Um, yeah, the, might... my years. Those be my years. Yep. The years that I was there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. I remember. And, I remember. And, uh, yeah, at the risk of like backing up the overall point of inviting <laughs> me on this show, uh, this non-show. Sorry. Um, no, he he's he's unbelievable. He he always says the right thing. Um, he can be funny. Uh, he can be, if you ask him, I've learned this in, in press conferences, at least, um, you know, if, if you ask him some like kind of silly question about like, whatever, something that's not football, you'll get, he'll try, <laughs> like he will, he will genuinely try to, you know, give you something that you can work with, but it's probably going to be bad. But yeah. if you ask him a football question about some specific play, he will talk forever. And, and it will be, he, he will tell you three things that you couldn't have noticed if you watch the replay, you know, four times, um, he is, uh, smart enough. <clears throat> he is so smart that if he had average talent, I think he'd be a good quarterback. Yeah. And he is so talented that if he had average <laughs> intelligence, he would be a good quarterback. Yeah. And th- that he has both and that he is supported by, you know, I'll just say one of, the best offensive minds in modern NFL history. Sure. Uh, supported by, you know, the, the best tight end right now. Um, supported by, you know, I always think about this with Tyree Kill and, and his specific, um, everybody, he's obviously fast, right? He might be the fastest player in the league. But right. his ball tracking, you know, if you throw it deep and it's off it's by ridiculous. five it's ridiculous. yards or whatever, he, yeah. he just goes and gets it. And I always think about this, like if, if Tyree Kill played for another team, um, I think, like you might watch him and be like, God, could you imagine if he had Patrick Mahomes thrown in the ball <laughs> and they could stretch the field like that? And here it is. He's got, he's got all of it. I, um, I, I think that Mahomes is going to be, um, I don't know if this is an extremist position in, anymore, actually, but um, I think he's going to end up as the best quarterback uh, who's ever played Yeah. when he retires. I, I really do believe that unless there's something else coming along. Um, and, but I also believe that, even if that happens and we get another, you know, 12 years, 10 to 15 years, let's say of him, I think we'll look back on these seasons as perhaps the most enjoyable because he's not going to have Travis Kelsey forever. He's not going to have Tyreek Hill forever. Um, Andy Reid will coach another, I don't know, five, seven, eight years or whatever, but you know, the the thing's going to get broken up eventually. 
um, you know, guys will age out or whatever. And I, I just, th these are the seasons that I think you're going to look back on and, and really think about, you, you know, what else too is like sort of along these lines of like the twisted, you know, quarterback history and, you know, the Elvis Gerback face and, you know, all these other things. Um, <laughs> that's what everybody in this town and, and, you know, I could not be preaching to the choir more here, but for a long time, if you were a sports fan, if you, if you liked the Chiefs and the Royals, it just felt like, you know, you had teams to root for and, and they played in the big leagues, <laughs> you know, that, that, you want, that were on TV all the time, but they were just sort of separate. Right. And, and the, you know, the dog piles happened for other baseball teams and, you know, the confetti dropped in other football stadiums. Um, and it just wasn't going to happen. You know, you lived in Kansas City and you could watch other teams do that. And for this to come along, um, is like it, it's like ground moving yeah. in some ways and i think about this joe i think about um uh, we all have our personal lens right um my uh I, me and my wife we've got two boys um the younger one really couldn't care less about sports um he says he likes the chargers but it's just because they have the best uniforms in sports they do um our, yeah they absolutely do um the older one is obsessed and um this is all he knows. He's going to go to college and Patrick Mahomes is probably still going to be he's six <laughs> years old and he's going to go to college and Patrick Mahomes is still probably going to be the chief's quarterback. This is all he knows, yeah. you know, and I know this is so like, you know, walking uphill both ways to school and all that, but it's, it's incredible. Like the other day, um, you know, all, all these games were, we're all doing it through zoom. Right. Um, and so instead of being at the game, I'm watching it up upstairs in our bedroom and the kids are watching it downstairs and um i went down there to like you know get a water or snack or whatever and i just stopped and sammy was on the couch and i was just like dude like just i want you to know i've watched football a long time <laughs> i've watched a lot of football and i don't know that i've ever seen somebody backflip into the end zone no like no, that, you that need new. to appreciate this <laughs> like this is just, you know but to him he doesn't know any better. Like he just thinks that's what guys do. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a hundred percent right. My daughter, my oldest daughter who, who had no interest whatsoever in sports came to the chiefs really for Patrick Mahomes. She grew up in Kansas city and, and so had a, had a leaning that way anyway. And, and she goes now to, to uh can, well, she, she goes to the university of Kansas on zoom. And uh, <laughs> so she's, you know, that that's her, that's her, that's her hometown. That's the place that she thinks of. But she didn't care about any sport, much less football, uh, until Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes is what brought her into the sport. And there was there was a moment. So the the moment we're talking about the backflip, I'm sure uh, just about everybody's seen it. Uh, Tyreek Hill caught a, a a pass, beat a defender, and then it was all alone, and then backflipped into the end zone, uh, which is, you know, it's an it's it's cartoonish. It's absurd. Right. But here was the thing was even before that happened. So Mahomes catches the ball and he had beaten his defender and there was a defender that had an angle on him. And at the exact same time, the, you know, the defender's coming and he has an angle. I mean, he's going to get there. And at the exact same time, uh, Elizabeth, my daughter and I said, yeah, he's not tackling. Well, like literally there was zero <laughs> chance, right, zero. Right. a one-on-one -on -one right. with Tyreek Hill, no chance. There's zero chance. Yeah. And, and it's just an absurdity. They're, they're an absurdity, but 
you know, I do think it's it's an amazing story for those people who who have fully appreciated it. So let me give you the run, and you know all of these, obviously. So I got to Kansas City in 96 when Steve Bono was the quarterback. And Steve Bono was the guy they had imported from uh, San Francisco. He was Montana's backup. Montana, they also had brought over from San Francisco before that. And then before that was Dave Craig, and before that was Steve DeBerg. So, so you already had like this this history of let me get some other team's backup quarterback. And, <laughs> they had a type. Sure. Yeah. And we'll bring him in. And, and, and this was not, this was not like a, this was a, this was not a bug. This was a feature. That was, that was the way that Carl Peterson and Marty Schottenheimer wanted to run the chiefs. They were like, Hey, we've got a great defense. Uh, that was the Derek Thomas defense and all that. Uh, and we've got, you know, we've got a good running game. And what we want is to bring in some veteran quarterback uh, and they're, we're going to make the playoffs, which they did, by the way, mm-hmm. almost every year in those times. We're going to make the playoffs and then, you know, we'll we'll do the best we can, which was we're going to then lose in the playoffs because they lost, you know, 19 straight years every year. So Bono was there. Then uh, Gerback, Elvis Gerback, who you mentioned, came over also from San Francisco as a backup. And at the time, they had another uh, backup that had come over, Rich Gannon. So Gerback and Gannon, that was like a big controversy, like it mattered. And then, of course, Gannon went over to the Raiders and and won the league MVP, while Gerback <laughs> stayed with the Chiefs and did not win the league MVP, in case, in case anybody forgot. Uh, and then they brought in Trent Green, who you'll remember, who was actually good for them for a few years, but Trent Green was the backup uh, who, who went to the Rams – to to uh to finally you know get his opportunity to play with a decent team and Dick Vermeil gets absolutely blown up in preseason so they go deep into their into the well and bring in a third string former uh indoor football league quarterback named Kurt Warner who takes them to the Super Bowl and then they're all like thanks Trent Green why don't you go to the Kansas City because that's where you go and then they had uh which Heward was it was it Brock it was Damon Heward right it wasn't Damon, Brock yep. Damon Heward yeah. who had been a backup. And then they got uh, they they got Tyler Thigpen, who they actually drafted, um, but he was he was it didn't that wasn't great. And then Matt Castle came in, and that's when I exited and you entered uh, was during the Matt <laughs> Castle, and of course Matt Castle was a backup uh, that they brought. Of course in. he was. Yeah. And then they brought in Alex Smith, who was not a backup, but was also imported from another team. And then during the Alex Smith years, they draft uh, Patrick Mahomes. So it was. It's not just that they didn't have, you know, there were, look, I, I, Trent Green went to a couple of Pro Bowls. It wasn't like they had the worst quarterbacks in the league during that time. It's that they never tried to have a good quarterback ever. They never tried. They never even tried. And then, and year after year after year, I'd write the, can the Chiefs ever just draft a quarterback and develop a quarter. Like, can you please like once? And then they're like, well, what about a left tackle? Would that be more interesting? And it's like, (laughs) no, just can you ever please just, you know, and then you actually were there. uh, So, so the one year that we, that, that you did have to suffer a little bit uh, was the Romeo Cronell year of 2012 when the chiefs went two and 14. And then the chiefs had the first pick in the draft the next year mm-hmm. and they still didn't even consider drafting a quarterback. So, so it's like, they're never going to do it ever. And then not only do they draft a quarterback uh, to develop, they 
they hit the lottery. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. It really is. And that was as comprehensive uh, a history of, you know, (laughs) I guess modern football uh, quarterback history with with the Chiefs. And and you even forgot, like, uh, you know, Brody Croyle. Oh, Brody Croyle, sure. Uh, Sure. Tyler Palco. (laughs) You remember that? You know, there's been two Tylers. Um, And these guys were just, like you said it, uh, they just never try. Like sure. it's one thing to just take a swing and, and it doesn't work out, but it was just like they were, they were just going for a C plus. If it worked out, they, they'd have a C plus most years. And, and that one year of, uh, you know, the one good thing about going two and 14 in that season was miserable in a lot of ways. Some that are just too depressing. Yes, to tragic. Get into. Yeah. There's some tragedy. Yeah, in literally those. tragic. Yeah. And, uh, but the one good thing is you get the number one pick and, uh, but they, <laughs> which was the chief's way. They picked the worst year to have the number one pick. Like there was just nobody in that draft. Like Geno Smith was, was like the quarterback in that draft. And it was just, you know, you weren't going to do it. The next year um, was Andrew Luck. Like, next year was they, Andrew they, Luck. If, yep. Yeah. If they could have stunk one year later, um, they would have had Andrew Luck. Well, it was, one year before. In turn. One year before. One year, okay. And, and yeah, Jadavion Clowney was the year after that. Right. Um, and so it was just, you know what else I think about is that for a long time, like, chiefing like was a thing like i always said like you never knew when the chiefs would chief but you knew that they would chief and and it was either you know lynn elliott missing a million field goals or uh you know losing a playoff game at home without giving up a touchdown or you know like on and on um you know they blew a 21 to 3 playoff lead uh in a game where the the quarter the other quarterback threw a touchdown to himself Uh, i mean just like things that you you really can't make up and then, uh, and then I thought that, you know, with the two and 14, you know, you get it the year between Jadavion Clowney and Andrew Luck, like, of course. And they took Eric Fisher, who's, who's a fine player, right? Yes. Like he's yes. a fine player. He's a player that you should, in, in a lot of drafts, you feel like you can get like 18th overall. Right. And, and in that draft, they took him first and it wasn't a bad pick. You know, it was just a really terrible um, draft class, but it's almost Joe, like almost as soon as, uh, you know, Mahomes had like his red shirt, rookie season um and and almost as soon as he played that first game in week 17 when the um, chiefs had the playoff spot locked up and his very first pass was this throw like just down the scene to i think demetrius harris if i remember right and it was a missile i mean this thing got (laughs) 10 yards off the ground maybe and, and and it was just a laser and it was perfectly placed between two defenders his first, that was his first NFL pass. I'm just, no Chiefs quarterback has ever made that pass. <laughs> nope. Ever. Nope. And he just did it. And, and, and almost from that very moment of, you know, the, <laughs> that the ensuing postseason notwithstanding. But, like, the definition of, like, when the Chiefs will chief has, has changed. And now it's um, that you are going to take the second quarterback. You got the second quarterback in that draft. But – that's okay because the bears took Trubisky and, right. and, and traded up for it. And, and now um, you, you just get break after break after break. And look, like, I, I think like, you know, um, good teams create good luck, the same, same as, uh, you know, bad teams create bad luck, but it, it's, it's really incredible. Um, you know, all the string of, of, of good breaks that they've had. I mean, like last year on that Super Bowl run, um, Patrick Mahomes' kneecap went to the side of his leg. Yeah, uh, it, it was it was so bad that players who saw it turned away 
and, and took their helmets off and slammed them into the ground. Like it, it was, it was gruesome. And then because now they have Patrick Mahomes, they have this doctor that comes right onto the field and shifts the kneecap back into place. And, and apparently people who are doctors say that that's the single biggest factor in, in the recovery period. Um, and, and, and how full the recovery is, is how quickly you can get that thing back into place. And it was back into place in seconds. I'm convinced that the 1990s Chiefs would have had no idea. And the kneecap just would have stayed like on the side of the leg. You know what I mean? Um, so he only misses two games. And, uh, and then, uh, but because they lost, um, and then they, he comes back and he plays the Titans and he throws this unbelievable jump pass. That again, I mean, it, the top 100 throws in Chiefs history are made by Patrick Mahomes. All of them. Like, it, it's it's yeah. unbelievable. And he's it was two like and a half one years Len Dawson pass in 66 or something. That got <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And, and they lost his first game back, but because they lost, they went down in the draft or the, the waiver wire. Uh, they're able to get Terrell Suggs, who they desperately needed um, to fill out the pass rush. Uh, and then in week 17, they get Ryan Fitzpatrick to win in Foxborough to beat Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, who are playing for a playoff spot, playing for a first round bye. Ryan Fitzpatrick beats them. So they get that first round bye anyway. And then they get to host the EFC championship game because Lamar Jackson and the Ravens choke. It's just like break after break after break. Of course, like Jimmy Garoppolo misses Emmanuel Sanders, you know, in the last couple of minutes in the Super Bowl. Like it's just like now they're just like blessed by God after just decades of being cursed. It's, 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 um, it would be incredible anywhere, but with that history, I mean, Joe, like six years ago, was it six years? It was 2014, I, I think, 2013, 2014, one of those two seasons. The Chiefs did not have a touchdown catch by a wide receiver all year. <laughs> all year. Like, that's what this team has been. And now they are this freaking rocket ship. It, it, it's like a weekly mind-blowing experience to, to take it all in. it's crazy it's crazy by the way do you know who the first quarterback was who uh taken in that 2014 draft that the chiefs took eric fisher do you know who it was it, it wasn't geno smith it was not geno smith was the second quarterback taken uh he was taken in the second round in the first round ej manuel so <laughs> so yeah you know that was that was that was a bad break for the chiefs yeah. I mean, that was uh uh, although that was the year they also got Travis Kelsey in the, in the draft. So, so right. that worked, that worked out for them, uh, worked out pretty well. well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, well, I mean, what is it, you know, every week, this team, like, look, the, the, the chiefs have, have, have had terrific years before. I mean, the 2013, uh, 2003 rather chiefs. Yeah. Um, that went 13 and three and had, uh, that was, that was the year that, uh, priest Holmes set the touchdown record and, and they had Tony Gonzalez on that team and the crazy offensive line. I mean, two, two hall of famers on that offensive line. And, uh, I mean, they were absurd offensively. I mean, they far and away led the league in scoring and, and, and were uh, ridiculous, but their defense was horrendous. Uh, I mean, absolutely horrendous. And that was the year <laughs> they lost the playoff game where neither team punted, right? That was the no punt yeah. uh, playoff game. They lost to the Colts yeah. when, when at the end of the game, 
the uh, basically um, uh, Peyton Manning ran to the line in order to get the Chiefs uh, a 12 men on the penalty, a 12 man on the field penalty that that cost them that game. Um, and Priest Holmes fumbled for the only time that all year that game. So so yeah. that was yeah. I mean, that's what the Chiefs were like. That's what it was like. It was like all right, how how are they going to blow this game? And it would always be like some incredibly uh, you know. Uh, dramatic and bizarre way that they would find uh, to blow playoff games. And now it's, it really is the exact opposite. But my point being that they've had entertaining teams before, but nothing like this. So, so what is, you know, as, as a, as a columnist going in, you know, when I was, when I was a columnist there, we would always have the, you know, conversation, uh, you know, at the end of the game, like, all right, what, you know, what are you going to write? You know, and, and, you know, whether you, are you going to write about whether the coach should be fired or are you going to write about whether Carl Peterson <laughs> should be fired or, or are you going to write about, you know, the, uh, Elvis Gerback, uh, saying that he can't throw the ball and catch it too. What like, like these were, there were not, it was, there were plenty of angles, just none of them were fun. Um, but this team is like absurdly fun. I mean, what is it like every week to just, write about this particular team uh, it's a joy i mean it like um i i i've said this before like i and i feel this like in my bones of i could live to be 200 years old and do this job until the day i die and i'm not sure i'll ever have more fun working than 2014 2015 with those royals teams yeah um but this is gaining ground <laughs> you know <laughs> um like th- there's there's so many mile markers of um like joe okay so mahomes's very first start um in denver week 17 a mostly meaningless game um but again that that throw to dimitri's hairs on the first one and then you know me and um uh therese paler who i know you know one of the best football writers uh in the country uh dear friend he's awesome He, he was the beat writer at the time and Therese and I and others too, um, but had been hearing a lot of stories about this guy and what he had been doing in practice. Um, you know, you, you hear whispers about no look passes and, you know, just heaving it further than defensive backs think they need to cover it, all these things. But you just wonder, is this real, you know, or is this like sort of they drafted him, they're all in and they got to, they got to support him. So you want to see him in action. And he threw this pass. It was late in the game. And I believe this was after he had been pulled because they, they were winning and they didn't want the guy to get hurt. Sure. So they put in Tyler Bray. And I think this is Tyler Bray still. Tyler Bray's only like real NFL action. And he <laughs> promptly fumbled. The Broncos went and scored it. I think tied it. And they're like, okay, Mahomes, like get back in there. Um, and, and he comes back in the game. And he rolled out. And, and where we were sitting in the press box, you could see Demarcus Robinson coming across the field. And you could see... Mahomes kind of noticing it and you just kind of think because at this point remember uh being in Kansas City you're used to watching like normal human quarterbacks yes and you see this play develop and you're like no don't do no 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 that's a worse throw that's going to get picked off by three different guys no no and he threw it and he completed it of course and Therese and I uh this is perhaps the most unprofessional moment of my career. Uh, but Therese and I both literally fell out of our seats and hugged each other based on what we had just seen. It, it was such an overwhelming, like, oh, I cannot believe what my eyes just saw. And you've had those reactions before, like watching the other team. I remember this. 
they, they played it in, in Green Bay um, a couple seasons before, I think. And, you know, watching some of these throws that Aaron Rodgers makes, is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's superhuman. Um, but now this is a guy that now you're going to cover for the next 10 or 12 years. It, it, it hits you a little different. And I remember like after the, after we interrupted, we both kind of like looked back and like, it's just like Chiefs PR and like the Chiefs like president, Mark Donovan, or just like, they're standing up there just kind of like looking and you're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> and like, we got this guy, <laughs> you know, but, but it's, it's, it's something like that, like almost every week. There was a, a, you might remember this two seasons ago. So it's first season as a starter. I think it was week six, but they were, they were playing the 49ers. And, and they were down, I don't know, like uh, around the 10 yard line and, and Mahomes takes a snap. Uh, there's pressure immediately. He breaks the pocket to his left. Um, he's chased down. He turns around, comes back the other way. He's scrambling for, I think nine seconds and, and then finds, um, I think it was Sammy Watkins, like in the back of the end zone. It, it, it was legitimately like, it was like Fran Tarkenton, you know, <laughs> like updated, like kind of thing. And, um, I wrote 1,700 words on that play. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's, it, you, you can do that every week to the point where he played one of the best games he's ever played um, the other day against, against Tampa. Um, yeah. He was incredible. He had one bad throw where he missed McCall Hardman on what would have been like a 90-yard touchdown. Um, right. It was still catchable, but, you know, you, when, you, when you expect perfection. Um, and... I've just I've written about the guy so much that I decided to do like Andy Reid deciding to throw the ball on third and seven in the last two minutes. You know what I mean? Like right, it's just sort of, right. um, and it's not that you stop appreciating it because I mean he really is, um, he's just incredible. But um, you, you can find yourself like there's 52 other guys on the team too, you know, um, and, and a lot of other moving parts. Let's 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 give them some attention as well. Absolutely. Well, look, I mean this is. I remember in 2000, it probably was 2003. It might've been 2002. It was one of those two years. Uh, whatever year it was that Dante Hall, you know, he, he had those couple yeah. of years where he was returning basically every punt and kickoff for a touchdown. I mean, it was, uh-huh. it was insane. And he had one against Denver yeah. where he, which, you know, you go to YouTube and, and, and see it. It's, I can't describe it. Essentially he cuts, catches the ball and goes backward and is surrounded by like, like eight Broncos and he somehow gets through and, and there were probably, you know, Broncos fans will tell you there were probably nine holds on the play, but, but he, <laughs> he, he gets through anyway and he scores, he goes all the way. Like, you know, I think he ran like 140 yards to, to, to score a touchdown and the press box just went crazy. Just cr- yeah. like people were just like, it was, it was like D day. Like every, I mean like, uh, like V E day, not D day. <laughs> D day. It was like D day. That'd be really bad. It was like V E day. You have like, you know, guys kissing sailors, you know, it's weird. It yeah. was just like a complete thing. And, um, and it's like that every week with this guy. That's the thing. It's yeah. like, that was a once in a, you know, in a, in a career type of, play that it was so mind-boggling that you were just like you know you know they're going to be showing it forever and but this guy every single week makes and he makes some throws that are like they don't even show on replay because they're just like eight yard outs or something that are like incredible like would be better than any throw any Chiefs quarterback had made in 20 years and they're just like like little. He's like looking one way, he throws it another way. It goes 
a half inch over a like outreached hand directly like throws the guy open and he does that like you know so often that you don't even think about those plays you know i mean it's i i just i really believe you know and and i've you know i've 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 written it on on you know so on, certainly on social and people want to scream and yell and i get it he's only in his third year nobody's ever played quarterback like this ever. And no. and that's not to knock Tom Brady. We don't know how great he is not to knock Peyton Manning, not to knock Joe Montana, John Unitas, go all the way back. He can go through all these great, great, great quarterbacks, but there's never been a guy like this. The guy that mixes all of those talents, the, the way, the way his, his ability to escape, his ability to run, his imagination is his arm strength, his, his, you know, the the way that he doesn't make bad decisions, even decisions that look bad are not bad because they're him. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's just a whole. He's just like a whole other thing, you know. He practices. So one of the one of the rules of playing defense um, for a million years in football has always been, you know, um, especially with certain quarterbacks, don't let them scramble to their arm side. Right. Right. Like if, if you're going to flush them, flush them the other way. Um, he's basically as good throwing the ball, scrambling oh, yeah. to his left as he is to his right. He, he, uh, like the, he, he, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but like he does, he, there's no flaws. No flaws. Um, he's not as fast as Lamar Jackson. Um, there, like, I, but I, you know, I don't <laughs> not, know what not else. a flaw. Yeah. I was going to say, not <laughs> a flaw, but... <laughs> right. uh, I, when he was coming out of college and, and there was, um, there was a lot of reasons um, internally and externally to believe that the chiefs were going to draft a quarterback in, in that draft. And so um, uh, Therese, me, Vahe, you know, we, we all spent a lot of time like watching, you know, I, and I'm not like an NFL draft prospect guy, that doesn't really excite me, but we spent a lot of time watching the quarterbacks in that draft. And um, the one thing that you notice, like there was this knock about Mahomes that he's just wild. He's like, you know, um, that th- he's going to make terrible decisions. Um, he's going to, you know, do a lot of like screw it throws, like 50-50 right. balls, you know, all that stuff. But it, when you yeah. watched him, yeah, yeah. It, it, But that wasn't what was on tape. It really, like, I don't know why he had that uh, reputation. His interception rate was right in line. It was either, so it, it was him, Watson, and Trubisky. Right. And, and I can't remember now, which, but th- like uh, Mahomes and one of those other two had basically the same interception rate. And, and the third guy had a little bit worse interception rate. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't, so th- this knock on him about, you know, throwing too many interceptions just didn't hold a lot of weight. And then especially when you watch them play their defense, it cannot be, it, you know, articulated clearly <laughs> enough how bad Texas Tech's defenses were. And I mean, they were giving up literally like 40 points, 40, 45 points in a game. Yeah. Um, and so they were down a lot. And so, you know, part of the game plan is for him to throw some 50, 50 balls. And, and some of, some of those are the ones that get intercepted. So you, you kind of had a feeling that, you know, if, if you got him, you know, kind of in the right situation that, you know, that, that those rough edges could be smoothed out a little bit. And obviously like, I mean, the chiefs is a great situation for a quarterback with, with that coach and this talent and all those things. But I, I think about kind of a, a long way of, of making this point. He came into the NFL with this, uh, reputation is, you know, sort of turnover prone, um, too much risk, you know, all that stuff. He is leading the league in interception rates. Oh yeah. He, he is, uh, he is the most 
conservative when it comes to turnovers. You know, he protects the ball better than any quarterback in the league. <laughs> and he also does this other wild stuff, you know, that, that he also, like you get the best of both worlds. Um, every other quarterback that is as, you know, dynamic as him, they'll turn it over. Um, every other quarterback that can protect the ball like him, they can't do the, the good stuff. Like it, it's just, you, you get, well, it's, it's, it's like you get the ice cream, but it's healthy. Yeah, well, I mean, look, there is – I don't know. I mean, I actually would want to look this up. He leads the league in net yards per attempt because he's throwing the ball down the field. And, of course, he's got, mm-hmm. he's got guys that like like Tyreek Hill who can do amazing things after they catch the ball. But it doesn't matter. He leads the league in net yards per attempt and also leads the league in lowest interception percentage. I don't know if that combination has ever happened. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe that happened one of the really good uh, Brady years or Manning years or something like that. But, I mean, that's an absurdity. But here's the thing. So he wins the MVP in 2018 when he throws 50 uh, touchdown passes and 12 interceptions. And it's, you know, and far and away wins it. And the last two years, which is now uh, 25 games, 56 touchdown passes, seven interceptions. I mean, it's, yeah. it's he's getting better. That's the thing. That's yeah. like, it's like he was already so ridiculously good. And he's and he's only getting better. So uh, I, I I just think, uh, yeah, I, I didn't get to, to write about him. But that's right. <laughs> I, I, I'm not I'm not mad or anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, but look, it was it's this thing has been going on. This is normally, you know, this 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 is this is uh, not a show and it's not really about anything. But we do focus a lot on baseball here on the show. I guess we're sort of supposed to technically be a baseball thing. Yeah. Um, and you know you mentioned well, Mahomes it. used to be a baseball player, so and, we, we got that and covered. His, and his dad was a baseball uh, was a baseball player, go. so there you go. But more to the point, uh, you mentioned what a joy it was covering those those back to back pennant winning Royals teams of fourteen mm-hmm. and fifteen. Uh, that was my original, you know, because because nobody would argue, uh, you know, even even lamely the way you have attempted to with the Chiefs, nobody would argue. <laughs> <laughs> that anyone has endured more just really bad baseball in that period of time than I did uh, writing uh, about those uh, late 90s throughout the 2000s uh, Royals. And then as soon as I leave, they they start, you know, putting it together and, and, uh, and, and then they go to the World Series. But, you know, would you say, you know, here's, here's a town in Kansas City that had endured so much frustration with football and so much just terribleness with baseball what would you say sort of i don't know enraptured the town more that royals run or this this chiefs thing um it's really hard to say um i think the royals yeah and it's a little bit counterintuitive football is bigger than uh than baseball i i I get all that but um I think part of it matters that the baseball came first. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, th- there hadn't been, um, you know, we've gone through the, the chief tortured history. We're not going to do um, that with the Royals. We're, we're not. No. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I remember in 2014 or 15, whatever, I think it was 2015. Anyway, the, the, when the, when the chiefs won a playoff game, um, they beat the Texans. Um, which I think technically only counts as like half a win because Brian Hoyer was, was their quarterback. But That's right. they won that game. And, and before that, um, I did the story on like the – it had been 20 
two years, I think, since the Chiefs had won a playoff game. 22 years since they had won a playoff. And, and it, it, and it came against the Houston Oilers. And so I watched that game and it was just like, it was like from another planet, you know, it was so long ago. Um, and, and with the Royals, it, it was the same deal. Their, their highlights were in, you know, grainy standard <laughs> deviation, you know, like, uh, or standard definition, sorry, uh, you know, television, like the kind where, uh, you know, when the guy was at the plate and, and the lights from the stadium were shining on his helmet and the helmet moved a little bit, you saw the streak of, of the, of the reflection on the screen. And, and, you know, to your point, like it wasn't just that the Royals didn't win. They just, there were so many years where they had no hope of winning. Like people still remembered until 2013, 14 in there, 2003 was the happiest Royal season in a generation and, oh, yeah. and they won like 84 games that oh, year. They, they finished they, in they, third place. Yeah, no, they, like, they, they they were absolutely not good at all, at, at all. Yeah. They got off to a hot start, and 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 that that was far and away. I mean, look, it was the only it was the only winning season they had in more than a decade. So, so yeah, that it, was part of it. It was the only winning season between. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. Between the strike and the 2013. Strike. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and and so you had just gotten so used to, oh, another youth movement. And, and sometimes like part of it would take traction, you know, like the, the, the Damon Beltron died outfield and stuff, but then the, you know, the team ERA was like 6.5 or whatever, uh, you know, and then you just got so like skepticism was not just like, you know, acceptable. It was expected. It, it was just like, how could you not be skeptical? And, and that the date more, you know, the process, uh, <laughs> You know, they, they had trust the process before the Sixers, you know, they, oh, yeah. they did it before it was cool. <laughs> and, and that thing took a long time. And, oh, yeah. uh, and, you know, I don't think people had a full appreciation for how bad it was. You know, um, you know, one of my favorite stories is that, uh, you know, that, that they just skipped the team picture one year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, like, who, who would want to remember this team? <laughs> um, and they were right. <laughs> you know, nobody they were right. wanted that picture. Uh, and, and so, you know, they draft these guys and for a while there for four or five years being a Royals fan meant you were paying a lot more attention to, to the team in Northwest Arkansas than you were to the team in, in Kansas city. Cause that's where, that's where the talent was, but then skepticism, skepticism, right? So 2012 comes and the marketing department in, in just a, just a, 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 a gross, you know, just a terrible decision. Uh, the, the slogan for 2012 was our time. Yes. It is our time. <laughs> and, you know, because that, that was the point where all these prospects were up. You know, they, they had finished um, 2011. They brought up Sal Perez and, and, and all these guys. And they had uh, a winning record over the last, like, after the All-Star break or something like that. And it was like, okay, you know, some momentum. So it was our time. And that team, and uh, you can relate to this, um, you know, when you're the sports columnist at the Kansas City Star, you, you, you measure things like this. That team was booed 16 minutes into their home opener. <laughs> sure. Of course they were. And, and they did not win a home game until May. Um, baseball seasons often start in March now. They did not win a home game until May. And so it was just like, ah, you know, here it comes again. And then 2013, they had a winning season. They were exciting. It was a good team. They were young. Um, all these things, but still that skepticism. And then in 2014, people forget that that was a bad team for most yeah. of the season. Uh, yeah. They were under 500 after the All-Star break. There were a lot of people around town 
hollering uh, about firing Ned Yost, Dayton oh, yeah. the whole thing over. A lot of people who quickly uh, got amnesia about that, by the way. Um, <laughs> and I, I remember writing uh, a column in, in July that, uh, you know, well, this is it. You know, they, they've got to either, this thing has to get better um, soon or, or they're going to have a lot of bad decisions to make after the season. And people were furious at me for not saying that they needed to be fired like five minutes ago. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, that's how bad it was, but then they caught fire late and it just, um, you know, I, I, I make my money by being able to like articulate feelings and thoughts. Uh, and, and I don't know that I can fully do it with how quickly and comprehensively that changed Kansas city. Uh, and I, I don't mean just the baseball team, but just people were happy. <laughs> people were happier than they had been before. People had a reason to, to cheer, a reason to tune in. It was a fun team too. They had personalities um, that you could get behind. They played this really, you know, exciting brand of baseball where everybody was fast. And, uh, you know, the, the outfield defense was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, th there were highlights that you couldn't believe um, basically every night. The back end of the bullpen, it, it was it was unbelievable. They, they were, it was automatic. Um, you just didn't know if they get, you know, Kelvin Herrera would strike out two or three in the seventh. Right. And Wade Davis after that and Greg Holland. It, it was, um, so to me, you asked which was bigger. And to me, the answer is the Royals because, in, in large part because they came first. And it was the first really good thing that Kansas City had in sports in so long. And it, I, I just remember um, the wild card game in 2014 is, it might be the best, the most exciting game I've ever seen in person. Sure. And um, I had never, Joe, I, I've been in that stadium. I, I grew up going to games. Um, right. I, I've been in that stadium. I, I don't know how many, I mean, just, <laughs> I don't, a thousand, I don't know. Uh, just right. hundreds of times I feel safe saying. And I had never seen it shake or never felt it shake until that wild card game. I'd never seen this, this kind of struck me. And I still remember, I remember looking out at the wild card game and thinking, I have never seen this many people in blue. <laughs> like, you know, Coffin Stadium had been filled before, but it was usually for the Cardinals game, you know, or, or it was opening day when people just had like their brown jacket on because it was cold out. Um, I had never seen that many people in blue. It, it, it completely, it was a facelift for um, like a civic pride. You know, I always think like Kansas City kind of has a, a civic self-esteem problem um, that, that was lifted. Um, it, it was just, it, it was incredible. It's just, it's hard to describe in, you know, to somebody who not only wasn't around in 14 and 15, but wasn't around for the years before that to, to get the up. Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall. Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the break. Alley hooped to Giannis for an iconic slam. Seals game five and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and 
you've got your neighbor's best friend's login <laughs> for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no annual contract. Yes, no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Yeah, I I've had this theory for a long time. Uh, well, you know, since since it happened, um, that there was something unique about the Royals winning that is not like the Chiefs. We all know, like the Chiefs are bigger in Kansas city because mm-hmm. football is bigger and, and mm-hmm. not just in Kansas city everywhere. And, you know, we were there, I was there in the nineties when, you know, the, the wait list for season tickets for the chiefs was, you know, you would hear these numbers, 50,000, 75,000 people on the wait list just to get, you know, season tickets to the chiefs and, and the Royals, obviously, you know, the, the, you're not going to match that level of, 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 you know, those numbers or that kind of passion, but Here's here's what I think is different. I remember, and I was just I just looked it up in 1997, which is about you know it was it was a little after I'd gotten there, and it was just about when the Royals started to become truly pitiful. You know, in 1997, Tim Belcher was named the Royals Pitcher of the Year. You know, they give these awards out uh, every year, no matter how bad the team is, they give out the awards. And the 97 Royals were bad, and Tim Belcher won the uh, the Pitcher of the Year. He was 13-12 and 12 with a 5.02 ERA that year. And I remember him, like, accepting the award. Like, he was... Like he was embarrassed to be up there, uh-huh. right? He was embarrassed, and he was kind of just like sheepishly, like, yeah, I, I, I want to thank you know the writers for, you know, picking a pitcher of the year out of this team or something. You know, I mean, it was something very <laughs> sarcastic, and 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 I, you know, it was I, I had been there just a little while, and I thought, man, this is bad, you know, yeah. and I had no idea that for the next 15 years, it was going to be every bit that bad every year or worse, you know, because it Uh did, it did get worse. And in the mid two thousands, it was absolutely, you know, a travesty and, and it was a joke every single day. And, and I did admittedly get a lot of great material from those teams uh, (laughs) to write about because they were funny, bad for the most part, Um, but they were so bad, but here's what I think is different. The chiefs, even though they had some bad years, also had some good years. And Mm -hmm. you started the year, like, I don't know how many Chiefs fans thought, hey, they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. I mean, there there were times in 97, 98, they thought that. And probably during the Vermeil years, there was some of that as well. But you always thought, hey, they might make the playoffs. And you always thought like, hey, you know, hey, if, if, if a break happens here or there, with the Royals, it was like it's like the dark ages. It's like they it's like they disappeared from from the the landscape. And there were still Royals fans and 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 still people going out there, but from a city perspective, it's like they didn't exist. 
It's like, you know, you never saw people wearing Royals gear when you went out in town. Uh, if you did, they were wearing it ironically. It was nobody, nobody was like, they, you just didn't see Royals flags. That Those didn't exist. They didn't even make them. Nobody would put a Royals <laughs> flag out in front of their house uh, during during that stretch. And so what happens in 2014 is that team, you know, they had, they had been, you know, decent the year before and you thought hey maybe this is a, this is of the team turning the corner and they were so disappointing for most of that year and you're a hundred percent right there are people uh people including you know I, i'm sure i wrote things everybody wanted ned yost fired to the point where if the royals had lost the playoff game to the a's the one they were losing a three yeah. the one you just called the greatest thing you've ever seen if they had lost that game, people would have been going crazy to get him fired, and yeah. and I, to the point where I'm not even sure as much as Dayton Moore was was uh, committed to him and loyal to him, I'm not sure even he would have been able to overcome the pressure to fire him. So so it was you know it was going and and then they win that game and go on this incredible playoff run, just a bizarre incredible playoff run and beat teams. You know they beat and an, they beat Mike Trout Angels right was that was the year they mm -hmm. beat the Mike Trout Angels team swept them, then they sweep the Orioles who were who were you know that was supposed to be a really good Orioles team they just blow them out of the water and then they play this amazing World Series against the Giants which they end up losing in seven games but it's super memorable and super incredible and it's almost like you had the mix of a, an amazing team emerging before your very eyes and like the city getting an expansion team. Like I, I just feel like, like <laughs> right. this, it's like the city's like, Oh my gosh, we have a baseball yeah. team. Like that's awesome. And they're really good and they're really fun. <laughs> and then in 2015, they rolled. I mean, people forget that. Yeah. Of course they, they could have lost to the Astros in the playoffs and, and, and all of that, but that, they had the best record in the, in the American league that year. Like they rolled all year uh, and it was just one long party for like a, a city that's like not only do do we have a, a, a you know this exciting young baseball team, we have a team, we have an actual baseball team in this town. Wow, what a yeah. what a novel thing! So I don't think the the Chiefs or any other team could match that level of excitement. That's that's exactly right, and and um, you know not just like <laughs> you mentioned that wild card game, Joe. I was like, I was. Four or five hundred words into a got to fire Ned Yost column <laughs> about, the, about the seventh inning. Yeah, and, and the the Orioles thing. Uh, do you remember that there was an actual headline in the Wall Street Journal, not Bleacher Report, not like the, the Wall Street Journal, and it said so, it was something like uh, the master against the dunce. And it was That's right. about Buck Showalter and, and Ned Yost. Like, Ned Yost. <laughs> and um, and and. To your point about like people not paying attention to the Royals, um, like all of the reasons that people give for um, regular season baseball being boring, you know, the downtime between pitches, all that, uh, all those reasons become why postseason baseball is so enthralling. Yeah. And, and because there's always, there's just drama on every pitch and they played so many close games that year. And so I think, you know, to your point about people not paying attention, now the first time that they're really watching is that, you know, yeah. that's like, you know, you've never 
taken a drink in your life and you go on a cocaine binge or something, you know, like it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be overwhelming. And then the next year, it wasn't just, they, they were great. Um, they, they, I, I'm not, they were the best team in the American league from the first day until the last day of the season. Um, they were also so fun to watch. Um, yeah. They played with a screw you attitude that, uh, the, the bench is cleared in that 2015 season so often. And uh, I mean, it was unbelievable. A lot of it was Jordano Ventura, uh, yes. you know, throwing at people. Um, but, you know, the, they had the, the series against the A's that I think was in uh, May or something like that. And, and I think the bench is cleared. It's a three-game series, weekend series, and the bench is cleared every game. And, and the Royals won two out of three, and they won the last one. It was a comeback with a walk-off, I think, when Renzo Kane hit it. But it was just sort of like in, those were the moments that kind of you felt were kind of defining that team's attitude. And, and they just they made it so easy for, you know, those of us that love baseball, we're going to be in no matter what. Right. Like um, I was watching, you know, more <laughs> 2004 Royals than than is would be like recommended Healthy. by. Doctor, yeah, by, right? by God, yeah. Nobody would recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> so they've got me right. Like I'm, I'm going to watch sports. But there were a lot of casual fans um who were brought in by that and and i think that's why you saw and look like the eight hundred thousand or whatever people said was, was at the parade like give me a break but that's why that's the biggest crowd i think i've ever seen oh sure um, you know there, sure. there were hundreds of thousands of people there for that parade and, and that's why some of you know it was a beautiful day. it was an absolute perfect weather day i thought it was um, 2.2 million people at the <laughs> <Royals> parade. Yeah. <laughs> that um, number yeah. that number keeps going up yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to the point where, like, um, Pete Gradoff, who does a great job with these, land, like, goofy ideas. Uh, Pete, by the way, uh, authored the recent story um, on the 25th anniversary of Steve Bono saying that the worst restaurant in San Francisco is better than the best <laughs> restaurant in Kansas City. Like, right as he joined the Chiefs to be the quarterback. Uh, <laughs> Pete wrote, like, he got into, like, a crowd you know, estimating expert, you know, who, who like looked at all these pictures. And I think they said, I, I can't remember 500,000. And, and people were pissed, by the way. They're, no, 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 no. There was a million people, uh, you know, like it really matters, you know, but that's, again, there's like this weird, not weird, but just this intense pride in, in every little part of that run that people had. And that team, they, they were so good. And, and, um, and then the next year, they, they left some money on the table. I, I do think, I mean, not to get into that, but, you know, I think it was the next year they lost two all-stars on one play, foul ball in Chicago. And, you know, they had some bad breaks, uh, a couple bad decisions, but um, God, those teams will, and, and, and I really believe this, the same way that like, you know, um, our older son, at least now is in that generation that's going to be changed, you know, how they watch football because of what Patrick Mahomes is doing. If you were, you know, eight years old or 10 years old in 2015 um, and you lived in Kansas city. I think you think of baseball a hell of a lot differently. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, absolutely. You for somebody 10 years before. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing that was really cool about those Royals teams and one of the many things that was really cool about them is they didn't have an MVP on that team. They didn't have mm -hmm. a, there there's, there's not going to be a hall of famer on that team. Uh, they, they didn't have a Cy Young winner on that team. Didn't really have a Cy Young or MVP candidate. I mean, 
they, I, I think Lorenzo Cain got a little consideration that year, and I'm sure he finished uh, third. But it was like, uh, but it was Mike only because Trout the Royals won. Donaldson were so right, far right. Ahead. Yeah. It's because the Royals won. They had to, yep. like, I'm sure Wade Davis. Wade Davis also got some Cy Young consideration that year. Um, but it's because, like, well, you can't. You basically the thought was, as I recall, the thought among the writers was, well. They can't be the best team in the American League without having an MVP and a Cy Young candidate on the team. But the truth is that and and Lorenzo Cain was fantastic. The, the, he yeah. he was an absolutely and he was the best player in my view on that team. Uh, course, but yeah. that team had a lot of guys who were like just as good as Lorenzo Cain, right? Which is mm-hmm. which is not MVP, but like one you know, one's one level down. And if you have seven guys that are the, the level of Lorenzo Cain, you have the best team in the American league. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like if you have Eric Hosmer and you have Mike Moustakis and you have Alex Gordon and you have Lorenzo Cain, uh, and then you have Ben Zobrist and you have like all of these guys that are like, no, right. They're not MVPs, but they're, they're just, they're not that far away that is that is not only a great team, but it's a great team to root for because it's yeah. it's like the, there's you know the, every, you grew up with this, but everybody used to talk about when George Brett, uh, particularly toward the end, but even in the even in the glory years of the Royals, you would count innings to see when George Brett was coming up again because. Mm-hmm. He was by far, you know, that 85 team couldn't hit at all except for George Brett. So so you were always like, all right, when is George Brett coming up again? When is George Brett coming up again? And that's the way it is in with the Angels. When is Mike Trout coming up again? You're always counting innings to see when, you know. You didn't do that with that team. Everybody on that team was like not an equal threat. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, Escobar wasn't, wasn't uh, you know, you weren't thinking like that guy was going to come out there and, and hit a home run and beat you or anything. But even he was scrappy enough to hurt you. Um, everybody was scrappy enough to hurt you. And then you had guys that were a little bit better than that, that were good enough to like beat you. Um, but they were all throughout the lineup. That was that was just a unique experience, uh, I think, for Kansas City or any place to have a team like that where it's like there's there's there are no superstars here and there are no weaknesses. There are just a lot of really good players. Yeah, and what the thing people say sometimes about baseball, right, is that it, it's an individual sport, you know, in a team format, kind of. Right. Um, but that team was really like, um, you know, the the whole was greater than the sum of the parts right. kind of thing because um, they all kind of played the same way. Uh, they didn't strike. I think they were either last or next to last in home runs in 2015. Yeah, they, they didn't hit any home runs. And, and they were way last in strikeouts. Yeah, no, um, no, they, they didn't strike out. And they didn't they walk. Always, yeah, right. Yeah, the, the ball was going to be in play. And they were all fast, uh, you know, except for Sal Perez. Uh, they, right. they, they were all fast. And, um, and and it made for a hell of an entertaining watch, you know. Yeah. Um, like, w- they had late in innings uh, or late in game, uh, they would put, Alex Gordon, obviously in left, and then they would move. And Lorenzo Cain is one of the best defenders, maybe the best defender overall, you know, for a period of time in baseball. Oh, absolutely. And they would, and they would move him to right field, and <laughs> and, and and Gerard Dyson would play center. And there was just no if you if the ball was in the air, yeah, 
to the outfield. It was getting, it just, it was going to get caught. And, and sometimes with, uh, you know, Kane diving in the gap, sometimes with, with Gordon crashing against the wall, uh, you just never kind of knew what that team was going to give you. They were, you know, I, like <laughs> this might be like a, uh, the equivalent of like a Mahomes play in baseball, but, uh, you know, th- that game six of the ALCS in 2015 is one of the, I just said the, the wild card game, and I still believe that, but that, that ALCS game was one of the wild. best games. Uh, wild. I mean, you know, Wade Davis pitched on, on both ends of a hour long rain delay. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and Lorenzo Kane scored the go, the winning run um, on a single from first, from first base without <laughs> running on the pitch. And, and that specific play just encapsulates so much about that team because uh, it was fast. Lorenzo Kane was flying around the yeah. bases. Um, it was clutch. They made all the big plays. Um, they, they, and they were uh, smart. Like that, that was advanced scouting. Um, you know, the, the Royals scouts had seen that uh, Jose Bautista would, you know, try to make the hero throw, blind throw to second base. Um, you know, if the ball went to the corner and, you know, which would give them an, a little bit extra time and they were gutsy. And it, it was it was all those things coming together, and you know I just it was perfect that the the Sports Illustrated cover the next uh, the next issue was was Kane like jumping up in the air and you know punching the air uh, in celebration after that play. When I think about those Royals teams, that's what I think about. And, and also, and I also think about this. So so they won they they won the ALCS uh, four games to two after game six. And I'm you're out on the field of uh, you know getting interviews or whatever, and then we were heading back up. To, to the press box to start writing. And, and I was walking behind uh, two players and, you know, they didn't know a reporter was behind them. So I, I, I don't want to use their name, but um, <laughs> one of them turned to the other one and just said, well, we bailed them out again. And, like talking, <laughs> talking about net. And I don't know. It, it was one of those things. It was hard to tell. I think he was joking, but I'm definitely not sure he was joking. Yeah. And, and it kind of didn't matter because that's how that team went to. And, and Ned, um, you know, was in a lot of ways the absolute perfect manager for that team not great uh you know strategically or whatever and um you know but god he believed in those guys and he believed in them when there was (laughs) when there was no reason to and and they pulled through and it was it it was just a beautiful thing well i i am convinced and i've actually sort of approached ned about this and i i don't think he's gonna buy it uh but i've also talked to dayton more about this i think ned yost grew into that job overnight. Like, I think the players all liked him. He's a likable guy. Uh, But, you know, for the first few years when he was with the Royals, he was really defensive. I mean, really defensive and kind of grumpy and kind of had a little bit of that. And, and, you know, this is, he's not wrong, but kind of had a little of the, I know a lot more about baseball than you do attitude. Which is, mm-hmm. he's right, he does know a lot more baseball, but so what? You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, that's right. his job, and you can't, you can't like, lean on that. Um, but then, and it was sort of almost at exactly the same time as the, as the uh, Master versus the Dunce story that appeared. Um, he kind of embraced his own duncery a little bit. I mean, not, not entirely, but he just kind of, it's like he got in on the joke for the first time and like he would like sort of say like, yeah, you guys are, you'll, you'll think it's stupid, but I believe this and that, you know, whatever. And he just like, he just loosened up 
And all of this personality that he had, um, you know, that everybody claimed he'd had before, but none of us in public had ever seen, suddenly he felt free to, like, let that go. And I don't know if it was winning, you know, that A's game when they when they absolutely shouldn't have won uh, or whatever it was, but, man, he was, like, fun in 2015. Like, as fun mm. as, as, as you can be. And I, I know that the players... Love that. I think Kansas City as a as a fan base love that. And I think he enjoyed it. I, I just I can remember talking to him in 2011, 2012. Man, he was he was he wasn't super fun to be around, you know? I mean, it's like, you know, there was there was a, a tenseness uh and he would say things. He would always be he'd always be very defensive and trying to defend something that he had done and and he always made it worse when he was trying to do that. Yeah. Like, like every time he was like trying to explain like, well, I did this. And then he'd be like, yeah, but two weeks ago you said this. And he'd be like, ah, shut up. I mean, he was just yeah. not, he was not super, um, uh, he just changed. I thought, and I, and he became the perfect manager for that team and, and all credit to him, all credit to Dayton Moore, who always believed that about him. But I don't know that it would have happened otherwise. I, I think, I think something happened with him during that 2014 playoffs that changed him. It was a wild card game. I, I, I will believe this until the day I die. Um, yeah. You use the word defensive a few times and, and it's, it, it, it's a good one. Um, I also think he was insecure. Yeah. Um, he had been fired uh, at Milwaukee when he thought that he got a raw deal. And he's probably right. He's um, right. He's you know, right. He, he, he got fired in the middle of a pennant race. Uh, the GM didn't want to do it. It, it, it was the owner's call, um, and, and he felt like he got screwed. He felt like he put in all the work um, and, and got that team ready to win, and then when he when they really needed him, that, that he was fired. And um, he spent that next year, you know, on his tractor at his farm, uh, just stewing, and, and he was pissed. And he came to Kansas City, and he came to a place that, like, organizationally was great for him uh, with the young talent that they had. and. Uh, you know, a GM that, that thought like him in a lot of ways and believed in him. Um, but it was a terrible fan base for him because that fan base had seen youth movements before and, um, and had grown skeptical. Yeah. And, um, and he was insecure about that. He was very insecure about that. And I'm not saying he was out of line to be insecure about that. Um, but you could see that almost basically every day um, that came out. And, um, and then two things happened almost simultaneously. One is, uh, and this was letting down some of that insecurity, is he, he, he started to trust his coaches a lot more. Yep. Um, you know, and, and probably the easiest one to, to use as, as an example here is uh, Dave Island, uh, the pitching coach, you know, kind of convincing Ned to, to use his bullpen a little bit different. Um, but he also trusted, you know, Rusty Coons with the base running and Mike Dersh. You know, it was just... He trusted those guys to do their job. So instead of, you know, one guy, and I'm not saying Ned's not a good, you know, he obviously he's a brilliant baseball man. Sure. Um, but, you know, six people doing the job is better than one person trying to do everybody's job. And and so he, he kind of freed up a little bit that way. And then once that wild card game happened, all that stuff that he was insecure about, he let go. It, it just, it didn't matter because now it's scoreboard, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. we're, and and I thought in the moment, I disagreed with Ned. I thought just getting to a wild card game 
was, you know, was an accomplishment, you know, that, that that's something to be really proud of. And um, Ned and a lot of people, you know, no, like that's, that's, you're not really in the playoffs until you have a series. And I disagreed with them at the time, you know, just because again, I've been beaten over the head so much, but, uh, but they were right. And, and, you know, once winning that game and then, uh, you know, you never know what would have happened, right. If, if the angels beat them, if the Orioles beat them in the next series or whatever, but to just keep rolling like that, Ned, he just, uh, then all of a sudden, all those little criticisms that some were valid, some weren't, but they all bothered him. Uh, and now none of that mattered um, because he was the manager of the freaking Royals <laughs> in, in the playoffs. And, and that's, I mean, he's going to get, they're going to retire his number, right? Oh, sure. um, and they have to, they have yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it all changed so quickly for him. And you could, you could almost see it just it, like, a different I, sometimes you kind of imagine this right like uh you know your friend and my friend bill james is, you know has a line about uh you know eyewitnesses in court cases i can see it in right. their eyes you know it's, right. it's, it's all bs i don't know how much i'm imagining this and how much of it was real but i swear it looked like you could see kind of the stress go off of it i can remember and i don't know if it was in anaheim or in baltimore i'm pretty sure it was in baltimore uh, we were there uh, for a press conference and he was just poking fun at reporters, uh, uh-huh. you know, just just like just having fun, just having like and I thought, who is this guy? Like, <laughs> like, 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 like that was I just had never seen. that. I'm not saying he'd never done it, but to do it in that big a moment, you know, they and it was it was, you know, you say that about the Angels and the Orioles, they never came close to losing, right? I mean, they they won every game they played against those teams. So it was just the, you know, the good feelings were were just rolling along and I just remember there there being that moment in Baltimore that I thought um wow, I mean, he is he's like a different guy and who wouldn't like this guy? Like who, like, mm-hmm. like who wouldn't, you know, and, and I've always said this, you know, about, about coaches, managers, people in all sorts of other sports, they don't appreciate, look, you can, you can treat the press as badly as you want. You can treat people as badly. Like you, It's free country. You can do whatever you want, but they don't realize we're all human beings and how much like you want, like, like, you see that guy, Ned Yost, and and suddenly he's making fun of himself, and he's being, you know, he's being, he's loose, and he's and he's telling stories, which he's a great storyteller, and you're just going, you know, if he makes a mistake tonight, of course you're going to call him out for the mistake, but it's not the same thing. It's just a different. You're, you're you're looking at a different guy. Like that was that was what I always thought was so so great about Joe Torre. Like Joe Torre always seemed in control. He always mm-hmm. seemed like he had it, and he didn't always. He made plenty of mistakes and 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 screwed up plenty of things. But so much of that is how you carry yourself as as a leader. And like I say, I. I thought it was night and day. I really did. And you know, look, was it was it truly night and day? I don't know. But but I, I really thought there was a fundamental change in the guy, and and it 
it worked, man. I mean, that's yeah. just, yeah, it worked. Well, I think, I think part of that is Ned can't lie and he's not, he can't, he's not good at faking it one right. way or the other. And, uh, you know, when he was feeling a lot of pressure and, you know, he, he can sit there and talk about how Alcides Escobar is going to be a, a good big league hitter and, you right. know, all these things, right. but, um, you know, Eric Hosmer had some long struggles and they had to send Mike Moustakas down to the minor leagues in sure. 2014. And, uh, you know, Escobar was one of the worst hitters in baseball in 2015. Yeah. And they just put him at the top of the lineup. Um, <laughs> and I, I remember a Andy McCullough, who was the beat writer at the time for the song, has this great story about being in the office. And, and Andy, this drove Andy berserk. Like he was just, he could not believe that they kept batting Escobar. And nobody could. Right. No. Um, Andy was not alone. Um, but this is like one point that I feel like him and Ned talked about all the time. And I remember Andy said one day, Ned just like kind of slapped the desk. He's like, Andy, I don't know why it works. It just works. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they went on. And, and that's kind of how that, that season went. And, but my point is that, that Ned um, was incapable when he was insecure. Um, and he was feeling some of that pressure. He was incapable of, right. of faking it. Yeah. yeah. And then once he got some success going, uh, he wasn't going to fake that either, you know, um, and, and God bless him. He, he was real. On, he was real on both ends. Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players and fans across the past, present and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond from iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities. That's the NBA. That's game. It's like game five of the NBA finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Bucks Suns in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side, found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Ready to take a trip? Hear about all the must-see places with Thrillist's new series, Get Out of Town. Brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card. Go from the East Coast to the West and everywhere in between, like the best spot to grab a drink on the San Antonio Riverwalk. There's a million reasons to get out of town. The only hard part is choosing where to go first. Listen to Get Out of Town with Thrillist everywhere you get podcasts. Brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card. All right, so what's the story with the Royals now, man? So you, you, as you look forward, I mean, this is, uh, I don't know. What, what are you seeing with the Royals now? Well, so what's interesting to me is at least right now, it looks to me like their rebuild might be working. Yeah. Um, the, the, when they went all in on, on st college starting pitching, uh, Brady Singer, Jackson Coart, Daniel Lynch, uh, those guys, like all those guys are working. None of them have been hurt. None of them are over underperforming. Like, you know, Singer looked apart last year. I love watching Bubich pitch Chris Bubich. I mean, he can get it up to 95 and his best pitch is a change up. I just think when, when, when you start from that place, uh, that, that's a pretty good platform for success. And uh, Asa Lacey might be better than all of them. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think they've got, they, they need some hitters. Um, they need to, they need to be right on, on the hitters. Um, so I think they've got a team that you can picture competing um, as soon as this upcoming season, but maybe, it, maybe it'll take a little bit longer than that. 
but you, you know you can see this group being good enough to you know to be a playoff ish you know at least you know a, a competitive team the problem is the al central is all of a sudden loaded yeah i know uh, the the white Sox are incredibly talented um <laughs> yep. i mean god but, but- they're loaded but it doesn't matter because they just uh, hired Tony LaRusso to be the manager. So, <laughs> so, so not to as worry as there. White Sox, yeah, as soon as White Sox came out of my mouth, I knew that yeah, <laughs> where that was going to go. Uh, but, God, they got some talent. And and the Minnesota Twins are a fantastic team. Uh, the Indians are all – I mean, the Indians, like, can't get out of bed without, like, tripping over three pitching prospects, you know, <laughs> that, that they forgot about. And, and the Tigers um, – you know, I think the, the Royals probably have more good young players than the Tigers, but the Tigers have some high-end talent. Um, they, they've, you know, they've got some some potential studs. So it, it's weird. Like, you know, the first time they did this, and, and another thing that's interesting, you know this well, um, it's basically the same front office group doing it again. Like, um, yeah, you know, because that's I, I think there's a little bit of what the broader baseball industry thinks of of what the Royals did. You know, that they weren't JJ Piccolo didn't get a GM job. Right. You know, um, they, they want they want numbers guys. And uh, but anyway, it's, it's the same group. It's, it's Dayton and JJ and Renee Francisco and Gene Watson and, and, and all these guys. And, and I, but I feel like the first time they did it. Easier is the wrong word, but it, it was more open. The division was more open. You could win the AL Central a lot easier than you can now. And that, that seems to me right now to be their, their biggest obstacle and something that they absolutely have no control over. Yeah, and and you won't. And look at that, and that happens. I mean, I I always thought, just taking it to a completely different sport, I always thought that as wonderful and amazing and miraculous, and I'm I've written as much about it as any human being, as the Kansas State uh, miracle was uh, with Bill Snyder turning around that college football team and taking them from clearly the worst team in all of college football to just about the best, you know, in 98 and almost there. Mm-hmm. That, that was really helped by the fact that uh, every team basically collapsed all around them in the in the Big 12. I mean, Texas yeah. was terrible and Oklahoma went through their very bad stretch and even Nebraska started to fall off a little bit and there was an opening. So, I mean, I think sometimes that happens. I think that did happen for the Royals. Uh, that said, you know, look, I, I think the White Sox are super talented and the Twins are good. This doesn't feel to me like a like a uh, like a division that can't be won, right? It doesn't. It doesn't. You, you don't have the Dodgers here. You don't have like you know. You don't have a team that's like that is so good and so unbeatable uh, or so smart, you know that 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 there's no place to go. I think the opportunity is there. What I think is more interesting is exactly where you finish that off with, which is I don't believe the Royals got a lot of credit for winning. Uh, I think mm-hmm. everybody kind of felt like it was. It was a weird time. It was it was sort of the last period of time uh, before the balls started to explode and, and everybody was hitting home runs. So you had a couple of years there where pitching dominated baseball. You had a couple of years there where the Yankees weren't any good and the Dodgers were kind of screwing around and trying to figure out who they were and and the Astros had not arrived yet. So like it wasn't just the division. It's like it felt like all of baseball was like still like coming together the Cubs hadn't gotten there yet and mm-hmm. and so you had like this you had an opening and and you know you never know when that opening is going to come along but even with that I I really did believe everybody was so in love with 
you know, the Ivy League money ball numbers idea of building a team as the only way, which is, of course, exactly what the Astros were doing at the same time, that sort of the Royals old, you know, it is old schoolish. I mean, of course, the Royals use plenty of analytics and it's it's absurd to, to think they don't. But, you know, it was speed and 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 defense and 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 back end of the bullpen, which, you know, which I think is probably their their longest lasting uh, contribution is the back end of the bullpen um, aspect of it. Um, but I never thought they got the credit for it. You know, Michael Lewis yeah. didn't write a, a Royal ball book, you know? So, so I've kind of felt like they've, you know, I would like to see them do it again in large part. Cause I think they really are incredible baseball people. I think Dayton Moore is, is an incredible baseball person. I think JJ Piccolo, I think the Phillies have screwed up by not hiring JJ Piccolo to run that team. I I've agree. said that on this podcast. I think, I think they're, I think, I think it's fool's gold to be going after, look, some of these Ivy League uh, people are amazing and they're the best at what they do, but it's not because they're Ivy League people. It's like I always had this, this <laughs> I've said on this podcast, like I call it the Belichick factor, where every single one of Belichick's um, disciples takes another job, not everyone, but just about all of them, take another job and believe that the reason that Bill Belichick is successful is because he treated the media shabby. And he wore stupid, you know, gray hoodies. And that was it. Like, that's why he's good. So they all wear gray hoodies and treat the media bad. And then they're surprised when they're terrible at their job because that has nothing to do with why he's succeeding. And I think it's the same thing here. There are tremendous uh, GMs who are who are brilliant Ivy League educated people. That's not why they're great at this job. You know, they're great sure. at this job because they're so imaginative and so... You know, you look at Andrew Friedman and the way he runs things, and he's just super imaginative. I think that that everybody just tries to copy that, and I think it's a mistake. And and I I do believe the way that Dayton Moore and the Royals do it, building sort of this this family you know concept and trying to sort of treat everybody. You know, I I just you've been in the middle of this, man. I have been so impressed with the Royals. And the way they've run this organization during this pandemic, I, I think they have stood oh out gosh, yeah. from every other team in baseball with the way they've treated their people. It's just, it's, and I think that's the way Dayton Moore runs a baseball team. Yeah. You know, yes. Oh God, there's a lot that, that I want to say right now about all this. Um, one thing, um, and, and I haven't, I, I've never, I've never attached his name to this, um, but there's a person in the Royals front office uh, who I think you would consider a friend and I would too. And as angry as anybody has ever been at me at this job was this guy who, again, I respect the hell out of, and I think he respects me. But when I called the Royals a money ball team, you might be able to guess what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, I know who that is. <laughs> and God, he was furious. And uh, he was even madder like the second and third time I did it too. But like my point was, uh, you know, money ball was not about walks. No, Moneyball was about you know uh, market inefficiencies, right? And, right? and finding out, and and so the Royals believed in their stuff so thoroughly and so long that it kind of became they were zigging when everybody else was zagging. Yeah, and you know nobody else was playing that style. Um, you know, part of the reason Dayton Moore came to the Royals saying starting pitching is the the currency of baseball. Yeah, well, <laughs> he did a shift and yeah. and he loaded up on relievers because the starters were too expensive. He found a market 
inefficiency. And, and, and I love defense. that. Outfield defense. Yeah. You said it before. That's That to me was the true genius of that team. That you know, Lots of people talk about, well, we're going to build a great defensive team. They never do because they're always mm-hmm. tempted by by the bats and they're always tempted. You know, they I that team is the best defensive outfield I've ever seen in my lifetime. Yep. And yep. that that was a market inefficiency. They didn't pay a lot of money for that defense. Yep. No, that's exactly right. And um it what's interesting to me now too is is they're they're trying to do this, you know, with similar principles this time, but you know, kind of in, in, in different ways specifically. Um, but you talked about that family part of it and that was real, like Eric Hosmer and Gerard Dyson and Mike Moustakis and all these guys, like they've got memories of riding buses, you know, together in in the minor league. And they've got memories of a dog pile, you know, winning the, the double a championship. Like they've got that stuff. And I think, you know, um, I think that stuff matters. I love numbers, you know, almost as much as anybody, but I think that that stuff matters too. And, uh, but I think what you're going to see, and Dayton's hinted at this, uh, he's done more than hinted at it, actually. I, I think they're going to become a little bit more transaction. They're going to become less, you know, we're all in and we're going to believe and this is a family and all that. They're still going to have that. And they're still probably going to have it more than most people, more than most, maybe all other organizations. But they're going to become a little bit more transactional. I think that's a direct tie to the change in ownership. Yeah, and you know Dayton and David Glass, you know this. They they had a partnership. Those that was that was a bond, and you know maybe Dayton and John will get there, John Sherman. Um, but you know it's impossible for them to be there now, right? And and John's got some ideas, and um, you know it's it's <laughs> John's the boss, right? And so this is a little bit different way to do it. And Dayton's um, he's all in, and he's going to try that. But there are going to be you know kind of some subtle differences now. Um, I do agree with like the Royals stood out in so many ways with the way they treated their minor leaguers, uh, the way they treated their staff. Um, you know, they, they just hired, it can't be official yet until January 1st is my understanding, but they're going to hire three or four, you know, pretty high level, uh, you know, scout front office types. Um, you know, so they're adding when, when everybody else is, is dropping. And so that sticks out, not just that that's obvious. And it also sticks out because, you know, the Royals are a small money team, but it, the, the biggest way it sticks out is that John Sherman has an excuse that nobody else in baseball has. Right, right. He doesn't have 10, 15, 20 years of record revenue to lean lean back on. He bought a team at the wor- maybe the worst possible time <laughs> you could do it. He paid a billion dollars for the Royals. And then a month later, pandemic, you yeah. know, and everything yeah. shut down. And, uh, and so he had an excuse that was unavailable anybody else and he and his group of investors which includes the quarterback of the team across the parking lot right uh but he and his group of investors uh you know screw it like let's 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 be about what we say we're about and and i think that that you know look it's going to matter in some like kind of small ways because the draft was only five rounds and um the royal signed something like six or seven of the top 15 according to baseball America, undrafted players, you know, so, so it's like the Royals got five or six extra six round picks and you can stop right. that if you want, but um, you know, so. little, little margins like that. Yeah. I, th- I think those things kind of, kind of build up over time. And it's um, you know, look like I, I I'm nerdy enough. I'm into sports. I, I'm going to get interested. I can find a way to get interested in just about anything, but it is um, 
it is a cool thing to be able to to watch and analyze and think about it and talk to people about you know when when a team approaches it this way. No, I love it. I really do. I I just I just think that that you know Dayton Moore walks in the door in in the middle of the worst period of time in in not just Royals history but but there are a few baseball teams that have hit the lows uh, that 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 team had hit when when he stepped in and there were so many things to fix. But I can remember the very, very, very first time we talked, he said, we're going to treat people the way they should be treated. And he meant everybody, you know, I mean, like, I remember, like, one of the things, like, when he got there, the Royals did not actually even have a section for scouts to sit in. And he's like, that was like the first thing he did was like, he said, okay, we need, we need to have a section. This is not even his team. These are opposing scouts. We need a section for scouts. We need to be able to make sure they can get water at all times. And, you know, just, just do things the right way. And he's always stood for that. That does, you know, doesn't mean he hasn't made plenty of mistakes. Of course he has, but he's always stood for that. And I just thought during this pandemic at a time where you're a hundred percent right, nobody in baseball had a, at a more like, like obvious or, or real way to get out of it. than John Sherman, when John Sherman just goes, look, I, I, this, I just spent a billion dollars on this team. We're, we're cash poor. I don't have any, uh, I've got nothing built up in this game yet. We're going to have to, we're going to have to tighten our belts until we get through that. And they went, literally, they stood out from 30 other teams in the way they treated everybody. Uh, in the organization. And I think it's a huge credit to John Sherman first and foremost, but I know that was Dayton Moore, you know, in the middle of that, because that's, that's what he believes. And I, you know, I, I, I think it can be naive to believe that that kind of stuff matters, but I do, I believe it entirely. I believe that it has Royals, to matter. It matters. Of course it does. Yeah. It has to. Like morale, morale matters. And, and I think that there really is something to be said for, you know, and, and there's other organizations with, with, with owners a lot richer than, than John Sherman and his group, you know, Artie Moreno <laughs> stands out oh, like yeah. kind of in, in the wrong way. Um, but if you love where you work yeah, and you feel that your boss values you, um, especially when compared to other people doing the same thing, if you love the people you work with, you just, you're going to do better work. You're going to, you know, you're, you're, you're going to try a little bit harder. You're going to, and, you know, the professional athlete, whatever, uh, you know, everybody's going to give it all. Uh, I'm not saying it's night and day um, that, that people, you know, that a prospect in A-ball with the Angels doesn't care and right, that the prospect not. in A-ball with the Royals, you know, is going to try hard for Dayton more. But that's not what I'm saying. But I, I do think that there's an edge there. Um, sure it is. It's a competitive edge. Um, and, you know, <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully our guys listen to this. Uh, it's a money ball approach. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, I, market, I hope you get yelled at. I hope you get yelled market, at. <laughs> market inefficiency is, is treating people like people. Uh, there, there was somebody uh, uh, who played with the Royals um, and he was, uh, he was, you know, on some of these teams that we've been talking about and, uh, and he's retired now. And, um, anyway, he said once, uh, <laughs> can, can we cuss on this show? Sure. Okay. Um, he said, uh, he said, Dayton Moore's biggest problem is that he's the only general manager in baseball who gives a shit about players. <laughs> and, and, you know, he meant that as a compliment, right? Of like, course. And, and, that's, of course. And, and that's him saying that, you know, Dayton Moore and the Royals, you know, Dayton Moore's shorthand for the organization, it's not just Dayton, uh, you know, sticks out in that way. 
and and that that's part of the charm that's part of um you know the appeal because the royals aren't going to offer the biggest contract um most of the time um they just you know they're, they're not going to be in that in that bidding um but they, they so they got to find other ways and this is one of the ways be interesting to watch uh yeah. how they how they develop over the next couple of years so sammy thank you this was awesome. I don't think I yelled at you enough about uh, <laughs> about your your lucky life, but uh, yeah. but you keep doing the good work. All right, thanks, man. You stay away from uh, wanting to come back. All right, because there's, there's not there's not enough Mahomes material. There's, there's, no, there's no no vacancies <laughs> in Kansas City. I understand. Exactly. exactly. All right, thanks, Joe. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login <laughs> for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. Yes, no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package.